There's no doubt classical Christian students are real world ready, ready academically and generally prepared to make wise decisions in a wobbly world. But even the best educated classical Christian students are teenagers who are still discovering how God has uniquely called, equipped, and gifted them, and therefore how to make good choices about college, their major, and ultimately what vocation to go into. My guest today has worked with thousands of Christian students, helping them discover their hardwired aptitudes and skills, and guiding them, as well as their parents and schools, to discern these many decisions that have to be made for life after 12th grade graduation. Join us for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here, grateful as always for you taking the time to listen. I love to hear from you. You hear me say that all the time, but I really mean it. Info at Basecamp Live, that email goes directly to me. I want to give a shout out back to Beth Thomas. Uh, Beth, thanks for emailing and asking a question. Let me know a little bit about uh, where you're listening from. Uh, Beth mentions that she's new to Basecamp Live, quickly catching up as fast as you can, Beth. Uh, it's okay to take take your time. There are about 230 episodes in there, so a lot that you can listen to for sure. Beth mentions that her family is in their sixth year at the Classical Consortium Academy in Barrington, Illinois, which is a classical Christian hybrid school founded about 16 years ago. So Beth, you are part of a very fast-growing segment in classical Christian education hybrid schools, which are absolutely taking off in a wonderful blend of life at home and life in the school. Beth asked the question, or do you have any insights or links to information on the house program? And I would say house programs at classical Christian schools are fantastic. I can't say enough good things about them when done well. They are one of the most positive ways to form healthy culture with your students and really with parents and across the school. If you go to basecamplive.com, the website, there is in the top right-hand corner a search box, and you can put in the word house, and up will pop this interview with Jordan Tucker. And for those of you who are listening, if you've not been there in a while, there are a lot of episodes, and it's not necessarily easy to click through all of them on the website, but that search box will get you where you need to go. If it's a particular person you're wanting to uh, go back and hear that maybe we interviewed before and you are curious about them or on a topic, the keywords are pretty well done and should bring up a number of podcasts. And of course, we try to be as evergreen as possible. So even the podcasts that go back three, four, five years ago are still going to be really helpful for topics going on today. Uh, as always, want to say thank you to the sponsors of Basecamp Live, to Classical Academic Press, to CLT, that's the Classic Learning Test, and to the Focus Group. We sure appreciate your partnership and support. My guest today, Tammy Peterson, is the founder and CEO of Life Architects, a career coaching and consulting group that partners with students, parents, schools, and faith organizations designed to create pathways to meaningful work. Tammy has an undergraduate degree from the Ozark Christian College and a master's in leadership, theology, and society from Regents College. She also knows the classical Christian space extremely well. She's taught uh, English as an English teacher, humanities teacher at the logic stage. She's also taught Bible and um, has served as a librarian and admissions director and director of college advising and is in a really good position having been in those roles to understand the important and challenging conversations that happen with students and parents as they matriculate from our schools into college and life beyond. So Tammy is the right person to, to have this conversation with. Love what she's doing, Life Architects. Um, of my three kids, I've got two that are currently in college. I actually recently had Tammy sit down, my wife and I, and our uh, boys individually, and just kind of walk back through some of the aptitude testing that they had done in the past and just talk about majors and kind of career decisions and paths they were on. Tammy did a fantastic job. So really appreciate um, not only just the ideas that she brings in this interview, but the work that she's doing through Life Architects. So without further ado, here's my interview with Tammy Peterson. Well, Tammy Peterson, welcome to Basecamp Live. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here with you, Davies. It is so good to be here. We've had a lot of fun talking. I said, Tammy, we just need to do a podcast. This is too good of a conversation. <laughs> either, either start recording 
or or uh, or make it into an official podcast. So here we are. Share with folks a little bit of your your story and background because you have you have spent some time in the classical Christian world and in wearing many hats, in fact. So share a little bit of that journey. Yeah, sure. I most of my educational journey um, as an adult was in a classical Christian school here in Texas. I uh, have a degree in education, so I taught second grade in classical Christian school and taught lots of different classical uh, curricula. And um, I kind of moved up with my kids. I have two kids. Uh, and as they came up through elementary school, I started thinking, oh, I, I think I'd really like to teach older kids. So I taught seventh grade English and Bible at a classical school. And then as they moved into high school, I moved into teaching Bible and being director of college guidance at my classical Christian school. Yeah. So you. So, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so I've done a lot of different things um, besides teaching uh, as many classical Christian schools. They just put people where they need them sometimes, but that's kind of the the linear path for me. Yeah. Well, you know, there's not a classical Christian school in the land, presumably, that doesn't um, tell prospective parents and parents of all the lofty outcomes of a beautiful K-12 classical Christian education. You know, 16,000 hours later, you know, your student will be you know, love the true, good, and beautiful, and all those absolutely true things that we say. But you discovered, and you've seen something that I maybe consider it, if we could frame it as a blind spot. You know, as you go through this process, um, there are real issues in terms of students trying to find out who they are in Christ, who they are in terms of their calling, vocationally, where they're headed. And I know that as classical Christian schools, we're kind of quick sometimes to um, brush aside this idea of, of vocation that feels very worldly or, you know, utilitarian, and we're off to the wiser, more lofty things. But in reality, students really do need some guidance that maybe they miss sometimes. Talk about what the, the gap is or maybe the blind spots you've seen. Sure. I, I saw them in my own practice in the guidance office. We often ask great questions. What classes do you love? You know, we're talking to high school kids. Uh, where would you like to go to school? What would you like to study? And the truth is they don't have a clue most of the time. They might have one class they love. And sometimes that class is the class of their favorite instructor. I know my my own family, we saw quite a bit of that. If they had a great instructor, they were really inspired and they loved the true and the good and beautiful about economics. And so now they want to be an economics person. And so we talk about things like that. And uh, I, I really had in my own family, my son, when he was going through this process, I asked him the question and he's like an amazing, um, classically trained, wonderful young man. I asked him what's most important about your college experience. And he looked at me and he said, I want to be cold. And I, <laughs> so I said, really, that's it? He said, I've been in Texas all my life and it's really hot here. I'd like to be cold. And so I drew a line across the map and said, anywhere north of here, you will be cold most of the year. And so he headed off to Michigan to Hillsdale College. And that was a great place for him, another classical place where he learned a lot about um writing and reading and just all sorts of with snow on the ground in the winter with snow on the ground in the winter yeah he came home his first thanksgiving he said i want to amend my my statement (laughs) (laughs) well yeah well you know so i wonder is your my sense is um that a lot of classical christian schools because we are trying a we don't have the staffing and the resources to bring in full college advisory teams and sure. guidance counselors. But do you see also maybe even at a more philosophical level, just a, maybe a little resistance to say, you know what, really, we're here to educate. Um, the decision of where to go to college is really more of a parent and child decision. And counseling just sounds like something we shouldn't have anything to do with. They need to go talk to their pastor. So help us understand, just before we even get into this, it feels like some folks might be listening going, I'm not convinced that this is even a path we should be on. So how do you respond to that? Yeah, well, I would speak to, um, if you're a classical Christian school, particularly, that you do have a partnership with parents in the area of discipleship. And so you've been discipling them all along in all sorts of different areas. And academics is one area that you've been doing that, but you've also been um, really discipling them in virtue as well. And so education beyond the secondary school really and truly is about more of that virtue development. And so if we're going to speak into 
the next steps on the pathway to adulthood, not just career, but adulthood, then we're going to be talking about where you're going to spend the next four years of your life. And that's a relational conversation. And so even if we're not hiring someone to do the college guidance, quote unquote, we are talk, speaking into that area at all already. And so if there isn't someone specifically tasked with the idea of what are you going to do next, then it sort of falls to everybody. And, and if the parents want help with it, everyone sort of says, okay, so what did I do? And we, we really do reach back into our own experience if we haven't been trained to think differently about it and just say, well, this is how I decided and this would be a good way for you to decide as well. And as we know, higher ed has changed in the years since we were there, no matter how old we are. <laughs> uh, if you have a high school student, higher ed is not the same as when you were there. Yeah. Well, I love how you're framing this because I think, again, too often college advising gets put in the camp of just sort of a, you know, a utilitarian step. Let's get together the students. Let's make sure they have their essays in order and they have, you know, these bigger generic kind of questions answered, but really not saying, hey, we've spent 12 years with you or 13 years as a classical Christian school walking next to you to help you form virtue and help you identify who are you. In Christ, this idea of vocational discipleship is an interesting term. Is that some? Did you make that term up, or where did that idea come from? <laughs> I did not make that term up. That actually came from Barna. Barna has done a study about you know why kids stay be, are, are continuing to be believers in their higher ed journey, and vocational discipleship was one of the things that millennials identified as what happened in their church that kept them in a faith path as they went up into higher education. So that was the first time I heard vocational discipleship. We, we hear vocational formation or we hear spiritual formation. There's lots of words that are around this idea, but we use vocational discipleship because we really believe that vocation is who you are. You are called to be something and out of that being, you will do things. You will occupy your hands with things. So our occupations are not equal to our vocation. And so if we think about vocation in that broader sense where we're saying, okay, who is our young adult? Who, who are they? And out of that who they are, what should they be moving into as occupation? And there's lots of answers to those questions, but we need a lot more information than we than we have usually. And it's it is a journey. It's a it's a pathway to who a person is as an adult. So, what so that's the, why it's discipleship. Yeah, no, it's it's a great way to frame it again. I think it's it helps disarm that sense that this is just helping you fill out college applications or it's counseling in some sense. It's really just it, it's an extension of the very work that we need to be doing as schools into your and to your point, we don't necessarily really have an environment where a student can understand who are they as God wired them with regard to things like aptitude. So maybe help us understand, like, what is aptitude? I know that that's something that we all are natively born with, but it's more than just take a Myers-Briggs and f go figure yourself out. So why is this so important? Yeah, one of the struggles we see is we we are tested to death, literally. I mean, mm -hmm. we just kind of take tests forever. And um, from the BuzzFeed quiz on Facebook to all the SATs that students are taking, all the, all the educational testing in between, uh, aptitude testing is a little different. It's definitely not an area of um, strengths. So we're not saying, what do you think about yourself? And it's self-reported. And it's also, we're not testing what you've learned. So those are skills that you've learned. So if you can do algebra, that's a skill. Aptitude isn't, isn't a skill. It actually is the way you move in the world. Um, so it's part of your vocation. And we talk about it in, think, in ways, um, because we use some tools that help us in this, do you see in 3D, for instance, is a great question. And so when you talk to kids and you say, do you see in 3D, they have no idea. The, the test that we use is called the Highlands Ability Battery. It helps us understand whether the student can see in 3D because he takes a work sample. He does a practice of doing something with 3D things online, and it tells us whether he can see in 3D. And it's a percentile score, so it's not some people do and some people don't. 
some people are really, really, really good at it. And some people are not as great at it. So it means different things for different occupations. And there's on our, the, the test that we use, there's 19 of those. And so it's all different areas. And the idea is that it's kind of hardwired. Like it's not going to change. One of the norms for this test is, to, is the same people take it every 10 years and they are the same except for um, introvert extrovert, which is one of the 19 work samples that's actually asking you questions about yourself. And so students answer the way they think about themselves. And very often they think of themselves as an introvert or they think of themselves as an extrovert. And that could change the way they think about themselves. You know, I've got an an aunt of mine who lives in Atlanta, and she was a guidance counselor at um, a Christian private school there. And I remember years ago, she was talking about um, partnering with an organization called Johnson O'Connor. And they they basically, this is a 75-year-old aptitude test, as I understand it, that basically takes about six hours to do. And it really unpacks all those hardwired distinctives of the individual student. They were doing a lighter version of it, but I think every junior did it. And it just became a really helpful tool to open up conversation and self-awareness. And I always thought, classical Christian schools just don't think about doing something like that. Again, it may be a resource limitation, but sure. it sounds like what you're describing is is just an, a very important self-reflective tool that you, that we just don't get at any other way. Through all the amazing things we do, this is an area that's often you know left untouched. And so to your point, the student is picking college based on who what their friends liked or who their professor um, inspired them to, to follow after. And yet maybe they don't see in 3D and they want to be an engineer and maybe that's really important. <laughs> so um, sounds like that's the kind of thing that it would. So is that that's really what you're you're saying? There are tools that are just right there at our disposal that we're not getting. If we don't use them, we're now we're going to have areas of, of a student's life that are completely unexamined potentially. Yes, I think um, Anne Highlands is a Johnson O'Connor. We use Johnson O'Connor's uh, research for that. So um, it is basically a, an online version of that test that Highlands has put in place. And we've been, I've been using it since 2012. And the other thing that I think is really important um, is, yes, we get the information from these assessments, but I've been in many schools that have all sorts of assessments, but no one's doing anything with the information. And mm. so we may have information on students, even uh, we might do an assessment like this, but no one is really digging into how we can help students access the usefulness of this data. And uh, it's just a lot of work for people to, for uh, school administrators to, with all the other things that are going on in the life of Absolutely. a school. Right. Yeah to look at the data and just say, uh, okay, Johnny, here's what we think you are good at by natural uh, ability. And uh, here are some careers that are connected to that. Let's figure out a way for you to kind of test that and see, is it actually something that you can do, you're interested in doing, and you'd like to create a pathway to that. Yeah. And and that, I, I think a limitation, you said there's limitation of resources, which of course, yes, there is. Uh, and then also the resource of time, it just becomes really complex right. for schools to say, oh yeah, let's spend three, because this test that I use is basically a three hour test. And so sure. it's, it does take time and it takes someone to kind of supervise it, get it set up and all of that. Well, I think it's just, it's understanding that there, the cost is could be even more significant long term. I mean, I don't know the statistics on the number of times college students change majors. I mean, we're all, I think that's every parent's fear is like, wait, you're going to be there for five years now and you've changed majors four times? Like that's way longer and more expensive than a three hour test to understand this uh, process. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the long game when it comes to discipleship. So mm -hmm. I, I think the, the most difficult thing is for us to put all of our financial resources on one side of the scale and our students' life on the other side of the scale and kind of reason our way through how much should we spend on that. But, but there are limitations. And so now we want to be wise in using our resources. And um, some of the assessments that we use are just kind of shorthand. Let's get there a little quicker. Mm -hmm. And the College Career Center will do some of those. And if we can kind of narrow down the field 
and help students understand why they might choose a particular field of study. Just not just because, oh, I had a great teacher in high school in that class. I, you know, I should be an engineer yeah. because my physics teacher was amazing. Um, but because there's a real interest and a real sense that this might be what I've been created to do. And that's the important piece is trying to figure out where students can spend time, spend their limited time thinking about who they are without it becoming life is all about me. Right. And so we know the the wonderful idea of creating, helping students create virtues in their lives is it's about other people and it's loving God and loving their neighbor and, you know, bringing something to the world that isn't there because now we have figured out what our calling is. And it becomes uh, helpful for parents and students to kind of get on the same page to have these conversations and to say, yeah, you know, I hear very often in, in my practice when I'm talking to parents and students about their, about their lives, uh, parents have opinions about what they want their kids to do. And sometimes their kids really don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a, had an engineering dad say, my son's going to be an engineer. And the, and the son is like, I, I really struggle in math and I, I don't really know how to do this. Yeah. And they're kind of at an impasse. So it creates an environment where we have a little bit of data for the family to think about. So I just kind of think of assessments as fodder for conversation. It's not going to tell you what to do. It's just more information about who you are and how you reflect the image of God in your life. Yeah. And that becomes a, a wonderful conversation with families. Well, we're going to take a break and I want to come back and maybe you can kind of walk us through in your mind, kind of the optimal path. Like if you could get a hold of a sixth grader or seventh grader early on and began to just lay out a path where they were on this vocational discipleship journey where they're encountering not only tests to help them unpack who they are, but I love this. It's so beautiful to think of anybody, any of us coming to a realization of how God has uniquely wired us. It affects our identity, our purpose, our sense of direction, the college we choose. I mean, all these things get answered on this on this amazing process that um, is right here at our disposal If we if we even know how to tap into it, which you help us do. Uh, you'll help us kind of walk through that process. So let's take a quick break. I want to come back and uh, hear a bit more of what the optimal p- pathway would be, Tammy. We're all here because we love classical Christian education, and we chose it for well-thought-out reasons. But have you ever thought much about where you bank? Wouldn't it be awesome to work with a bank that shares your love of goodness and truth and beauty? The folks over at America's Christian Credit Union are proud supporters of classical Christian education and this podcast, and they have been serving the financial needs of Christian ministries and schools and families for over 65 years. Find out more about America's Christian Credit Union and how they can help your family or school with funding and banking needs by visiting americaschristiancu.com, or you can find out more in the show notes for this episode. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of CLT, or the Classic Learning Test. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast, and we're honored to work alongside all of you in the classical renewal movement. In addition to our beautiful standardized assessments for grades 3 through 12, CLT also produces a podcast called Anchored that we think Basecamp listeners will enjoy as well. Anchored explores the intersection of education and culture, and it features conversations with leaders across the entire renewal movement, from college presidents and professors to heads of schools and organizational leaders. If you want to stay up to date on all that's been going on in education and in the renewal movement, please check out CLT's Anchored podcast, that's A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D, and visit our website at www.cltexam.com slash basecamp. Well, Tammy, as we've talked about, I've had the privilege of having, of my three children, two of them take the Johnson O'Connor test, which was, again, a six-hour extensive test. I think that test goes back 75 years where I think it was General Electric, maybe, yep. uh, engineer early on. And then they took, they they gave it to all of these, you know, 100 plus different vocations. And they said, hey, look, you're wired this way. And this is the wiring of, you know, whatever it may be, a pilot, a funeral director, who knows what. Mm-hmm. And it just helps children understand 
and parents. Like I've never thought about going down that path. And then my youngest, we, we had him go through the Highlands. I'm a huge fan and it was jaw dropping to sit in the assess once assessments were over and, and hearing all these distinctives of my child. My first thought was, Oh my goodness, you have been spying on my children for the last 10 years. How did you know that they're not good at this? How did you know they're great at that? So um, what a gift to be able to unlock those God given distinctives of our children. So if you could, you know, if you could back up a student or maybe they're not there yet, kind of, when does this process optimally begin? Is it seventh grade and then kind of going forward? What would be the, the perfect path if such a thing existed of discernment? Well, it's really interesting because some of the work we're doing in my company is we're we're starting with kindergarten, which is an interesting idea because uh, vocational discipleship, the idea that you're created to be someone and occupation comes out of that really starts from the womb in many ways. And so one of the conversations I had just this past weekend with the pastor, a family pastor at my church, um, he was talking about working with young children. And I this is our this is the way we think about it as well, is if you see something, say something. So if you see something in your child that is a gifting, like they just do this thing naturally, because, you know, when you do something great, like you just do it kind of offhandedly, it's it really is a gift. You definitely discount how cool that thing is. And so uh, when you see your kids, and I don't mean just, you know, hey, you're great at everything. I mean, really thinking about giving a blessing to your child of acknowledging what God has put in them, this natural ability that you're kind of seeing, whether it's they're playing with Legos and they're building these really interesting and intricate things, or they're um, kind to other children in a way that is really and truly beyond some of the students that I've seen really caring for other people, raising money to feed poor children and doing those things when they're young. These are things we need to pay attention to because it's, it's a lifelong journey to grow into who God imagined you when he created you. He had this imagination of who you were going to be. And we need to be looking at that and saying, oh, wow. Okay. So here's here's my child and I'm looking at what I'm seeing and I need to say these things. And it really is, um, we call it a form of a blessing to, to keep track of those things. And, and we're going to be testing some great ideas in that where we're keeping journals or um, we're keeping it in a Google drive, just somewhere where parents can see and say, and um, teachers can see and say, just that idea of being aware that, our kid has gifts as well as struggles. And a lot of times we focus on the struggle and we don't focus on the gift. And we have to, we have to actually focus on both of those in the vocational discipleship journey because many times, and it's sort of surprising, students end up working in an area that they might have struggled in early on. And so it's not simple to say, oh, my kid, he worked with Legos, so he must be wanting to be a civil engineer. And we all know that, no, that's probably not true. Now, there might be some some truth in it, but it's a, it's a complex puzzle to put together when we talk about a person's life. And so we start early. And then, yes, we, you mentioned, you know, um, We've talked about middle schoolers and middle school to me as a seventh grade teacher, I loved it because they're still honest, uh, but they're still like, they're not trying to hide anything yet in those years. They're still just kind of who they are because they can't help it. <laughs> That's one thing about not being able to control yourself is you just kind of see who they are. Um, so you can see a little bit of their personality in those years. And so really making sure that you're going, oh, you know, he, he really does care about people and and he really does even though he's he can um he can be a little stinker sometimes in certain areas he really does have these areas of interest that we're seeing blossoming and that's why it's wonderful to give middle schoolers experiences because they're not quite afraid to fail yet and so if we give them experiences where they have to take a risk uh, and and really, so much of the classical movement is around this. Is we we believe that children are not 
little adults waiting to become an adult and a worker. We believe they contribute to our families and to our schools. And so how do they do that? And how can we encourage them to think about what what's important to them and what are the things that they're drawn to? And we use four, um, four areas to kind of help parents. It's kind of a shorthand for the ways their child might reflect the image of God. And so these four areas are creating beauty, bringing order out of chaos, seeking and saving that which is lost, and heal and restore. So four simple spaces that you can say, is my child drawn to one of these four spaces? I think so that's- And those are so, yeah, and those are so- Beautiful, because again, I I think people listening may think, well, okay, I get that Johnson O'Connor and the you're you're kind of wired towards this vocational path. It's so much deeper when you bring it into the area of discipleship and you're framing it the way you just did through these four beautiful categories. I mean, if your child is, you know, seeking and saving the lost, or healing the restored, or ordering out of chaos, or what was the other, creating beauty, I mean, you you want all this, you want every child to do all of that, but some of them are going to probably be more predisposed towards another one. So you were you about, you were saying kind of, is this sort of in that middle school era uh, age window? Yeah. Yes. We start thinking this way with our middle schoolers because they are so out there, like they're just who they are. And what we discuss, yes, we reflect God in God's image in so many ways. And all four of these, obviously we're looking at um, virtuous living in all four of these areas, but you'll notice if you pay attention to your kids that they have a leading edge. There's, there's something that they do just naturally that's the leading edge of reflecting the image of God. And in maturity, they will reflect in all four of these areas and many others, of course. But I found that when I spoke with uh, parents particularly about, tell me a little bit about your child, they didn't really have a vocabulary for something that was outside the family realm. And so... Um, they would say things like, well, they're very tidy and that's great. Tidiness is wonderful. We, we love tidiness as a, as a virtue. <laughs> um, order out of chaos is what we call that. And so we give them these words. Well, it seems like if that's what the first thing you think of with your child, then maybe the leading edge of the reflection of the image of God in them is bringing order out of chaos. And so some careers are based on bringing order out of chaos and um, we help them sort of think through so, what those might be. And we're going to, in a few minutes, when we take another break. We'll come back and really get into like the mechanics. So, so how, what, what's actually happening in that middle schooler's life? You know, who are they meeting with? How do they discern that? But just at a higher level for a moment, you know, so you're saying here's a seventh grader. They, you know, maybe ideally something happening in the kindergarten year. If you describe now you're finding a seventh grader, which I'm having trouble imagining any seventh grader that has the gift of bringing order out of chaos. It seems like it <laughs> always worked the other way around. <laughs> The one yeah. percent of uh, seventh graders that are that way, um, uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, okay. So keep going. So now they're you know they come through middle school. Now they're in the rhetoric stage. High school, college looms ahead. What what would be the ideal experiences, uh, discoveries that you would want them to go through? Yeah, we we talked earlier, and you were you were saying you know it's not just about filling out the college application, and we start thinking about the college application pretty early, uh, but. One of the things we talk about is that we don't want to be just transactional with students. And the transactional way that we talk about college application, I think, leads us down the wrong path. That if we just get into the right school, we fill out the right paperwork, we write the right essay, uh, then we can have this transaction where I give money to an institution and the institution creates a work path for my child. We've never thought about education that way in a classical Christian school. We've always thought about it as training in virtue. And why would we change the way we think about education as we move into the high school years and into higher ed? And I'm not one that we don't need to think. I don't, I never think this way that we don't need to think about our um, occupations because our kids need to feed our, feed themselves. And so I'm, I'm a parent. All the parents of, just cheered when you said that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the, we have to be practical about how our kids are going to make a living. But I, I actually think we can, we can acknowledge that there's more to education, even at the higher ed level than just acquiring knowledge 
And in order to really continue to grow wisdom in our young adults, we have to set them up to be seeking that when they leave the high school years. And so that's where those high school conversations are around, who are you? You know, what um, they meet with whoever they're going to meet with. And many schools have advisories or they have house systems. And there's lots of people doing different things around this conversation about who are you and where do you belong? And, and what is your purpose? Like those kind of questions, uh, because soon the educational treadmill is gonna end and you're gonna have to step off and begin actually walking the path without anybody pushing you along. And so that's the kind of conversation we have with high school students is, is really and truly you, your parents have created your childhood and now you're gonna be creating your adulthood. And all of that is co-creating with God who created you. Yeah. Um, and so as we think about that, it's important to um, get information about how they learn and how they actually do the work of education and make sure that they're really understanding when they are on their own in whatever higher education place they end up, they know how they do this task, the educational task, and why they're doing it. I just think this is so incredibly important what you're describing because I think you know, it is very much about the identity of us as a human being and how we see ourselves and how we're perceived by others. And it does seem like the risk is that so often, you know, a child will show some interest in, you know, a science. And so we just, we declare, oh, you have the gift of science or the whole yes. thing of, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm not a math person. Why? Because and I could, I've got my, I won't air all my stories, but I mean, I had somebody early on say something that made me think oh, I'm not a math person. Well, I don't know why I think I'm not a math person, but I've 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 spoken that over myself, which is yes. really unfortunate because I probably could do math if somebody So it it just you said earlier, I think we lack the language to even know how to articulate what our children are good at or what our students are good at, and so we just fly blind and then we end up anchoring onto something that is maybe very superficial. So I, I mean, speak to this idea because I hear parents all the time like, "Oh, my child is a natural born athlete or the other, well, my child's honestly just a little quirky and I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I mean, what do you do? It seems like we as parents and even as students want to just find that thing that's yeah. our thing and hold on to it. But it sounds like yeah. there may be some danger in being too superficial or too quick. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, and I, I'm just going to tell for those parents of quirky kids, I have two quirky kids of my own that um, really and truly quirky kids make the most interesting adults. I, I just love the does the that growth does path. that come out on the test like you're a quirky kid like that's you have the <laughs> yeah, gift of, of yeah, exactly. the quirky, quirky gift okay all right <laughs> uh, yeah I I do think it's a little more complicated in in our day because we really want the most efficient path and we love absolutely love achievement in our culture and early achievement is the best kind because if we can say oh you are this you're great at that, then your path is set. And life we know is messier than that. And so one of my favorite stories is of a student that I've worked with. And he, uh, in high school, loved math, loved history, loved economics, loved all sorts of things. Um, was a good student, not a great student, just did what needed to be done, um, classically trained and, you know, did language, did modern language and Latin. And when he went off to college, uh, he decided he wanted to study political economy uh, just because it sounded interesting. He had a great teacher for economics. And then um, when he, the school he was at, he took some tests, did some tests with me and decided that he was going to be an engineer because he saw in 3D. And there were a lot of things that that really moved him in that direction. At his school, they didn't offer engineering. They offered a two-three, which sometimes happens when you get to schools. You, you weren't you weren't going to study it. You went there for this major, and it was supposed to be the major you were going to stick with. And as you said earlier, people change, um, and we get more information, and that's good. And so he stood. He took physics, and um, at his school, the physics professors were like, you, you know, yeah, you kind of re reached your threshold. <laughs> And so he ended up graduating as a mathematics major. So because physics, there just wasn't more in his brain for physics, even though uh, he tested really well in those areas. And so he basically came back after college and 
uh, took the actuary exam, wrote a science fiction novel, did all sorts of really interesting and quirky things that were not paid. You know, he had a job, but he wasn't being paid in his major or anything. And we had some coaching sessions just around, you know, what do you think God is calling you to? Uh, let's go back to what you do in your 3D and your 2D, because he was really feeling restless about that. He could not imagine his life uh, as a worker in an actuary with, with a, a life insurance company. He just couldn't even imagine it. He went on to do a couple classes just to kind of test the water in business, came back to me and said, these are not my people. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means, but great. Let's, let's keep the search going. And so we went back to his testing and found that if we triangulated his interest, he ended up with like three things that he could do. And one of them was mathematician. And the second one was a video game designer. And he, he, he kind of looked at me and said, I could do that. And I said, yes, you have all the aptitudes and interest for doing it. And, and he said, okay, I think I'd like to try that. <laughs> and it was funny because his parents were like, oh, like, especially in classical circles, video games are yeah, these are <laughs> Yes, these are like the devil almost. Right, right. Like, oh, no, now what are we going to do? Um, but he really came around to the seek and save that which is lost in the video game industry. He really did wow. say, here's an area that I can make a difference and I can influence where millions of kids are spending a lot right. of time. And so, uh, so as he articulated that and as he grew into that, ended up doing a, a master's degree in interactive technology. And today he's a video game designer. What what a great what a great story again, Tim. As you're talking, I think about how many I don't know what's the latest. How many times does an adult change careers, even right. entire vocations in their lifetime? I mean, I've heard it's like seven times. I mean, it, there's just it, it seems like this is not a new idea. I mean, there's a lot of underserved individuals that come out of great schools that never no one ever helped them figure this out, and so they're just throwing it at the proverbial wall. And yeah. and and to your point, it's not just vocational inefficiency it's really this on the discipleship level and you know even as you're talking it makes me wonder whether you know it's so sad looking at our modern culture with so many young people that are whether they're hitting depression or they're you know deciding to change their gender or they're not sure what to do with themselves because no one's ever really helped them figure out you this is who you are how you're yeah. wired and god has made you unique unique for a purpose i mean what a freeing message if you can figure that out early on yeah. And it is, I just love it because it's a journey with a kid. I mean, it's true discipleship. You are walking with this, with students saying, what are you seeing? And so we talk about um, doing informational interviewing. We talk about having mentors. We talk about the importance of community mm. because you, you discover who you are by how you interact with other people. And so it's important to be a part of a community and not a community that just does surface things together, but also does deep things together. Yeah. And so, so trying to help students in the discipleship part, how do you create community? I have many young adults in their late twenties and early thirties, just saying, I don't know where to find community. And these are students that are, or young people that are in churches and in families and they're not loners they're wanting community and are so many things in our culture have sort of broken the natural community building spaces yep. and so they're ending up trying to find people that are interested in being in community together and it's pretty difficult actually i think it's the new epidemic i mean there are lots of i mean so many people are lonely in the crowd and that that's a it's a real sad reality. But again, if we can help uh, young people, uh, yeah, even older people navigate the, yeah. the the complexities of the modern world, that is a huge gift. Why don't we take one more break? We'll come back. And I, I think it'd be real helpful, Tammy, just to have you walk us through, get real practical. So if I'm a parent, I've heard a lot of things. I'm inspired. How do I, how, what do I do? How does it, especially if my school is not set up to help me and my student or my child walk through this you know, what are you offering? How would that work? How would it work switching hats? If I'm a school leader, what's reasonable, especially if I'm in a smaller school? Um, we definitely want families and schools to, to 
help awaken students to this unique reality of how God's made them. So help us understand what that practically looks like. We'll be right back with Tammy Peterson. Gordon College is one of the nation's premier Christian colleges and located just north of Boston. We offer students extraordinary access to leading-edge opportunities for intellectual, professional, and leadership development. We prepare graduates for the increasingly complex challenges of a global society. In the tradition of Boston's great liberal arts institutions, we are what Harvard used to be, a place where a strong faith and a strong intellect are complementary, not contradictory. Gordon is a place where we be better prepared for a greater purpose. Find out for yourself. Check out gordon.edu and plan a visit to campus. Well, Tammy, you've definitely stirred up um, in us an awareness of an opportunity to really walk next to our children, with our students, to really make them aware of how God's wired them. I mean, I think that's, at the end of the day, the very heart and soul of what classical Christian education is trying to do, and there are tools that can help us in that process. So we've talked a lot. I think most people listening by this point are hopefully cheering, going, yes, please, we need more of this. What does it look like? Maybe, first of all, if I'm a parent, I'm driving along or washing dishes or wherever various base camp live uh, listeners listen from, and they're thinking, yes, please, I definitely don't want to miss out on my own child, and I don't know that our school is going to get there uh, fast enough or have that resource to immediately available. What, what advice do you have to parents? What do they do? Well, we do work with parents all over North America, actually. And um, we do have limited space, but um, you can go to our website and that'll be in the show notes. And we um, work one-on-one with families. And if you need a little bit of help or you'd like to take the highlands for with your student and just kind of get the get the ball rolling that process begins at age 15 and so highlands asks us now to have students take that before they're 15 and so that's when we do it so freshman sophomore year that would give you a good base understanding of kind of how they're wired with natural abilities and um and we do offer that um for just a slight discount for groups of 10 or more. And so if you want to bring me in for some time and we work with a group of students at your school and you allow the parents to pay individually for that, that's one way to do it. I've had, I've uh, done some in-service at schools and offered those in conjunction with an in-service where I talk to teachers about all of this. And then we have a parent meeting in the evening where we go over the results um, in a group and that, that um, drops the price just a little bit for the individual families. Um, and so for families, there's a couple different options. If you're connected to an institution, um, it's a little, you can get it for a little less. And then um, as institutions, I, I just love being a thought partner with institutions. So if you're thinking, how in the world can we do this? It just, we're already taxed on our resources and we're already taxed on, you know, our time. We're doing so many things and, uh, this is just one more thing and how can we do this? I I just encourage you to reach out to me and let's have a conversation. We've done all sorts of different things with different schools. And uh, as, as much as there are expenses that we have that need to be paid if we're working with people, we definitely are willing to have conversations where we say, how can we help you? How can we help you think about this? what we're, we're, we're really design oriented. And so if we um, think that you want something that's kind of new and unique, we can do some design thinking with you about what might be good for your school and what might be good for your families. And uh, almost always there's someone on your campus who's thinking about this. They're thinking yep. about, oh, I wish we had a better way to figure out what kids should do with their lives after they leave us. And that person is the person that I would be looking for. I'd yeah. be looking for the person who's like, yeah, I'm really interested in this. Is, is there any way I can be a part of what we might be doing in this? Because that person really and truly could begin a partnership with your institution. And I can help you figure out how to do that. And and that way you have someone on your staff trained. You don't have to bring me in and pay extra for me to stay somewhere. You just home grow one. Yeah. And um and it's really tailored to your institution. Well, it's really the training, the trainer, trainer model, because I think many schools, even medium size, have somebody, maybe it starts as a volunteer, but ultimately staff as a college advisor. And I think as we talked about earlier on, if they could expand their their reach beyond just let's sort through college options and fill out essays better and applications. I mean, all that's critical and basic, but what would it look like even to back up 
a few years before, as you described, I think it would it would be significant as a value to families if schools can figure out how to do that. So I think it's great that you're willing to help them brainstorm those options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we it's it's really exciting for us. We you know I I'm um, talking to talking to schools all the time and talking to parents yeah. more frequently than schools, and it's just really fun to be a part of a family's life who's getting ready to launch their child into a world that they want them prepared for and um, and really bringing the insight of many years working with this age group and giving insight into the higher ed process. And we do train and mentor um, college advisors. So if you have a college advisor that wants to be trained in this model, that's an option for us as well. And so if you have someone that you're thinking, oh, they would love to do this, um, then let's have a conversation. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, tell people again, and it will be in show notes, but remind them where to find you out there at on your Life Architects website, probably the best spot. Yeah, lifearchitects.com. No, life Arch- sorry, that's wrong. Lifearchitectscoaching.com is our website. And uh, I have an email that's just Tammy at lifearchitectscoaching.com. And you can email me directly and it goes right to my desk and uh, I will respond pretty quickly. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, and as always, if people are out like, what was her name and what was the thing? Just info at basecamplive.com. I'll be glad to get you pointed (laughs) back to Tammy. But Tammy, thanks so much for just sharing this vision for us, awakening us to the opportunity to really help our children and our students understand how God's uniquely wired them. I think what I think we as adults would immediately think, where would I be? How could it have been different if somebody had come alongside in my early years and just really awakened me to that unique wiring that God put inside of me? It's transformative. So thanks for your great work. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really happy to be here. All right. Thanks, Tammy. Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.